So to kick things off here, I am reaching back to a couple weeks ago when I talked about separating art from the artists. Um, so for my quick thoughts today, I wanted to discuss that a little more. Um, I was here yesterday and I was painting a piece and I just got really into his own and stuff. And I was thinking about this Dali quote, uh, Salvador Dali had said, I don't do drugs, I am drugs. And that just got me in this weird place too and I was like, I want to be drugs. And what does that mean? And just thinking about like, it was a little different because he was a surrealist painter and I think that, you know, honestly, I've never heard that quote in the context. I've only seen it outside of the context, just as a one-line thing. But I think part of it might have to do with, you know, him being a, a major influencer of surrealism and, and part of that um, artist group. Um, I think he might have written the manifesto for surrealism. I can't recall, or he was at least a part of it in the, in the foreground uh, creating this, this art movement. And I think just that alone just might have something to do with it as being like, yeah, when you look at surrealism, when you look at his art or whatever, he's taking you on a trip. He is um, putting you in a space that is not your reality, perhaps making you think about things or analyze things a little more. Maybe that's what he meant. But I was also just like, I painted this piece yesterday, um, and I was just in this zone of, I felt like I couldn't be touched. And uh, I was just thinking of like, yeah, man, like art can do that. Like creating art can do that. Like um, that I feel like I am drugs in that moment, or I'm under the influence of something that is not my reality. I've made a new reality in that moment where the reality is, is something under my own creation, which I feel like, as obvious as that is, I mean, we are influenced and we have to react to stimuli all the time, but other people's stimuli, other situations, whether it be the weather or, you know, someone doing this or that or the other thing that you have to react to. And sometimes when you are in 100% control of what you were doing in that moment, um, I think that's kind of rare because, I mean, driving on the street, you're not in control. You didn't make the road. You didn't, I mean, I guess I'm never 100% in control. I didn't make the canvas, right? Like, um, I, I didn't make it from scratch and then stretch it on, like, I mean, I stretch canvas sometimes, but I didn't make the canvas in itself. I didn't make my paints. Like, so I still am under the, the thumb of, of some other prior thing, but somehow in the act of creating sometimes, I just feel like, man, this is, I am creating a reality right now where I am so, I'm so out of it. When I get into a zone sometimes, I am so in the moment that I am not at any moment. Like that, that's what being in the moment is to me. Same thing with biking. Um, I am so singular in my, in my thought and my action that I don't feel the presence of what my body would be in of this like quote unquote reality. Um, again, I've mentioned, you know, perception is reality, but I just mean like, I don't feel like I'm part of the physical world at that moment. Like I am transcending that because I, I am forgetting about it. I'm so involved in what I'm doing. I'm feeling so good about what I'm doing that I don't think about anything else. I may not be thinking at all. I am purely reacting to stimuli. Sometimes like with biking, I'm reacting to stimuli and, uh, if that's just the, the nature around me and the speed I'm going, I have control, but I'm like, I don't know. And same thing when I make art, it just feels very similar. Where I'm escaping mortality for a short time. I'm escaping anxiety. To me, those two things are so tied together that that's how that works. But um, because I am so involved in one singular thing. And I mean, that's what reading a book can be too. Anyway, um, so I was just thinking that this all ties back to the whole thing of, of again, like separating art from the artist. And 
how I can feel when I'm making art, but how I want to make others feel when I'm making art. And it's not every single piece. I mean, I have talked a little bit about how I have embraced more design work in the past year or two. Um, I can make art about art. That I Not everything is this topic or concept that is so heavy and, and tall and strong that people, I'm needing people to think about it um, in, in this way that's just like, you know, this elitist capital A art, my concept is whatever and better than everyone else's. Like, I, I have been there and I've done that. And it's not that I won't necessarily do that again, uh, but I have branched out and changed my definition of art um, and realized a lot of things, just changed as a person and an artist. And I was just thinking, though, like, man, I want to be such a powerhouse that you can't separate my art from me. That would be like a main, like that would be like an ultimate goal. That would be an ultimate thing as an artist. Like, no, like my art is so strong, you can't separate it from me. Um, but it's not just that my art is so strong. It's that I put everything out there and that is the art. And in this, I will, uh, you know, call upon Donald Glover for this. Or some people might know him as Childish Gambino. But I mean, uh, at the end of camp, he talks about, you know, in this story basically that he's verbalizing after the song that he decided to put everything out there for everyone all the time. It's just there. So you can't you can't necessarily steal, you know, something from him because he's put it out there already. And so I think that that is a powerful statement too that if I were so open with my flaws, my vulnerabilities, um the things I feel and think about all the time that that was my art that expressing myself I really feel like is part of my art. I mean just the act of expression, the the process that goes into making a piece, what the piece means takes on different meanings because of it's not just about the end product, right? Um, so if the art is expression in and of itself, and the fact that I am, you know, expressing so much or putting it quote unquote all, I mean I don't think I could put all of it out there all the time. But I mean if I am laying myself bare in such a way that is easy to read too and not super convoluted, um, you know, and, and layered all the time and hidden. Uh, but if it's bare and people can just read into it and immediately understand it and connect, um, I think that it would be at some point impossible to separate my art from me. And that would actually be a fantastic thing, I think. Um, that would be the kind of artist that I would like to be remembered as. And I just never really thought about that before. It took me a couple of weeks after making that episode to, to think about that. But that's, that's kind of where I'm at with that. Um, so that's all for quick thoughts. And moving on to the essay. Moving on to the essay. So this is very timely because of the piece that I just uh, made yesterday. I put a finish on it today. Uh, it is titled, I Am the Beast I Worship, which is a line from a Death Grips song. Um, and... Yeah, I, I've had that line in my head ever since I heard that song. And so it's been a, around for a year, and year and a half, two years maybe, since I heard that song. And I didn't know what to do with it exactly. But anyway, I created the self-portrait, and it's just that word beast invokes this other thing. Because for my main topic today, I wanted to talk about, um, as you can see, I'm so influenced by other art, other artistic forms and media. So as for the main kind of topic today, the essay, the bulk of today's episode, um, I want to talk about this line that came from the movie Quills, which I'm going to give you some background on that in a second. But the line is, 
Is that not the duty of art to elevate us above the beast? That is, that is the line that I'm focusing on. That is what I'm going to talk about. Now, it's a little timely because I just finished creating a self-portrait yesterday called I Am the Beast I Worship. So that was kind of on my mind. Um, also, this line is something I've had in the pocket for like a year or something that I wanted to talk about on the podcast, even before the podcast was a thing. I, I really feel like this is just something that I, I've engaged students with that question before. Uh, when we talk about what is art, what is the purpose of art, um, how do you define art, things like that. But yeah, I created this piece, I Am the Beast I Worship, which is a quote from a, a Death Grips song. That's a line in a Death Grips song. And I just ha I've had that sitting around for like a couple years ever since I heard the song, didn't know what to do with it, so I created the self-portrait. Now, back to the original line, is that not the duty of art to elevate us above the beast? So it comes from the movie Quills. Now, Quills is a fantastic movie. It's a biopic of the Marquis de Sade, who is played by Jeffrey Rush. Uh, we've got Joaquin Phoenix, his character, the Abbe, um, basically of the... Yeah, I, I guess he would be kind of a, a priest figure that also takes care of the mentally ill and it's kind of a prison for the mentally ill in a way but he's very um, a Christ-loving man who is very uh, you know trying to do things right and 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 be forgiving and patient and loving um, and and compassionate and taking care of these individuals that need help. And so he's kind of running this this prison for the mentally ill in a way. Uh, but he's the one who says the line. Uh, there's other people, Kate Winslet's in there. Um, oh man, I still can't remember this dude's name. He played Alfred the butler in Batman, and I just can't remember his name right now. But anyway, um, so if you don't know who the Marquis de Sade is, I said this is a biopic of the Marquis de Sade, uh, and, and Jeffrey Rush plays him. He, I mean, if you ever heard, if you know the the term sadist or sadism, like that, that comes from him, from his name, the Marquis de Sade. Basically, he was a, a French writer who, and if you look for his books in like bookstores, it's really hard sometimes because um, I look for his work often. Uh, it, it's really difficult to find. Like, you don't know where it's going to be. I've seen it in philosophy. I've seen it in erotica. I've seen it just in literature before. Uh, and all those places make sense to me because, I mean, he has written some messed up stuff that's basically almost a list of, of horrible sexual acts and stuff like that that are just disgusting. But then he has, has written stories that, you know, uh, explore human sexuality and mortality and, and human nature and experiences that, that people have with each other. So... Yeah, it, it ranges, but it definitely revolves a lot sometimes around exploring sexualness within humans uh, and pushing that. And, and obviously when I talk about like, oh, we get the term sadism from his name, that should give you a clue. Now, I, just, I would push this and impress upon any artist of any kind to watch this movie uh, because I don't think you have to know who the Marquis de Sade is or be familiar with his work or appreciate his work even to get some great things out of this movie. Um, he's an artist's artist. He, there's a lot of lines in there that just inspire me. Watching the movie just always inspires me and gets me fired up um, because of how it depicts him as someone who did not want to stop, that he wanted to keep writing, that he was ordered not to write anymore, that there were consequences for him to continue to write, well, not to continue to write, to continue to publish and find ways to publish while he was still in prison and all these other things, but he felt like it was a strong character that he felt he needed to do these things. 
and and this is this is where it comes in because I mean, especially for the time, I mean, there were people that were reading this stuff and loving it. These stories, these sometimes grotesque, um, very politically incorrect, if you want to call it, or very challenging um, material. And then there were people that uh, you know would not could not appreciate that for what it could possibly be. I mean, there's one thing just to say like, oh, you know, that's just not for me. That's not my style. It's not my cup of tea. Um, and there's another thing to condemn somebody for creating that thing. And that's kind of where he was. He was living in a society that couldn't appreciate what he was trying to do. And even if they didn't like it, they couldn't just leave it at that where, you know, he, he was forced in, into the situation where he wasn't even being able to have the freedom to publish his work. Um, and so... It was just a thing that, like, I mean, it was underground. If anyone had to get his work, it was completely underground, and, and his material was outlawed and, and, in some cases, burned and all this other stuff. So he has this, this compulsion to write, to get these things, these things out of him. And uh, it definitely plays against the church at the time and the material and subject matter, but there is a... Like I said, in the movie, this this portrayal of the character Abbe or the Abbe, uh, played by Joaquin Phoenix, who is trying to he's trying to befriend him, like they they're, they're chums, and um, he knows this work that the Marquis has created. But I mean, it's it's a whole different thing when it gets published, and then he brings you know a firestorm down on the I don't remember the name of the of the chateau de whatever the basically the the prison. Um, where someone else is going to come in and take over and all, whatever, all this stuff. And uh, the abbe feels betrayed and he, he feels like, oh, I thought we were friends and why, why do you have to do these things? And they're having a discussion or more like a, I don't know, it was kind of a disciplinary discussion in a way. Or he's just, it's kind of one-sided, but he is, basically they're engaged in this discussion where the Marquis is saying, I need to do this. You don't understand. Like, hey, I need this. Like, I need to write. I need to get these things out of my head and my heart, and I need to, to, to do that. And then, I mean, the argument was that he wasn't supposed to publish it, but that's a whole other thing. And then the Abbe says, well, isn't it the duty of art to elevate us above the beast? Now, like I said, I, I posed this question before to students uh, in attempts to talk about, you know, open up a conversation about what is art and, and how to define that and what is its purpose. So, I'm going to keep repeating that sentence. Is it not the duty of art to elevate us above the beast? In this case, I interpret the beast as Satan or the devil or whatever because the context in which it's said in, uh, who is saying it, and their role, and also just because that, that makes sense. Some people thought about, like, oh, this differentiates us from animals, and maybe that is the context it's said, and maybe I'm just stuck on this religious Christian thing. Um, but that seems to be where I, I feel like the intention was, and if I'm wrong, then I guess I'm wrong, but I still got a lot out of it. Um, that he, he's talking about, sh shouldn't art be something that beautifies? Shouldn't it be something that, that enriches our lives and gives us um, positive feelings and hope and strength? And um, I should have rewatched it, and I, I should have like quoted the, maybe the whole scene or something. But that is kind of what he's asking, is like, the stuff you're doing, he's telling the Marquis, basically, it's not, it's not good. It's not positive. It's, it's horrible. It's just a list of grotesque acts, and um, th that this isn't helping anybody. It's not, it's not even art. Like, he was saying that it's not art because it's not positive, because it's not elevating us. And I think 
that especially for the time, that was uh, an attitude that was, man, what century was it? I should have looked that up, but I didn't, and I'm not going to look it up now because that's just where I'm at. Um, you can do that. Sorry, folks. Uh, but he, you know, especially for the time, I think that was a thing. A lot of the art was made by what I would call technicians who were on a commission basis. They were like tradespeople that were creating things for churches, that were creating things for, you know, kings and, and, and people that had money. But I mean, a lot of these figureheads were very tied to their respective churches and religions that were mostly, I mean, we're talking about um, Britain here and France and, and Spain and like Europe, basically these these places in Europe that really are tied as their, their main uh, religions sourcing from Christianity. So um, th this is all this context leads to that. This is what I think he was saying. And I, and I believe that for the time it makes a lot of sense and that most of the art was, you know, these depictions of things that would inspire people and be like, oh, wow, this is a beautiful, beautiful stained glass window or a beautiful, beautiful church or um, beautiful paintings that remind us how uh, there's hope and beauty in the world and look at this portrait of Jesus and whatever. And I think that even if you, even if we left it right there and, and you know, you don't see the rest of the movie or anything like that, I, I'm not, you know, there's no spoilers here that I'm giving you. Um, I encourage you to watch it uh, 100%. Uh, but this question that he asks is, is interesting, I think, because, I mean, he's so blind to the other aspects of art and what art is and can be for the individual creating it. And that there, unless you were directly harming someone, you know, to me physically, I think that's how I would, that's my caveat, unless you're directly physically harming someone with your creation, someone or any living thing, that your, your art won't cross a line. Um, that it won't cross such a line that that person should be condemned. Um, you know, and, and there's some gray area there because, like, I specifically talk about living things and I used to, I mean, create graffiti and vandalize things. And I think that obviously crosses a line of ownership and whatever and destruction and things like that. And you could obviously do damage to people's physical property and that's not good. But anyway, without that caveat, um, the act of expression in itself is still going to, to in most cases, be something that is worthwhile to the person who is in the process of expressing. So the artist, in this case, the, the purpose of the art is to just express. It's, that's what it is. The duty of art, there is no duty of art. That, that's the thing. There is no duty of art to provide a specific thing for someone except for the person creating it. That's how I feel. That, um, you know... Like, it is not the duty of art to elevate us above the beast. It is not the duty of art to make people feel good and give them hope and whatever else. Uh, if I really wanted to, to bring it back to how I used to define art, I mean, I was really strongly, you know, tying art to concept and saying that, and I still do to a degree, I feel like the best work, work I appreciate the most has substance, that it should be inspiring someone to thought. That thought doesn't have to be positive. Um, it's, or inspiring someone to feel. I mean, those are two different things, thinking and feeling. So inspiring someone to, to feel or to think, um, and those can be negative thoughts and feelings. Those can be things that make us feel just, you know, not good. And that can be the challenge. You know, that, that is what challenges people. That's the only way that we push forward. So I think that this is a very narrow-minded way to, to look at art. And I really don't think people hold, like the majority of people don't hold this opinion anymore or these thoughts that, oh, well, that's not art because it's not my, um, well, no, that's, 
I think that if, if we go to an aesthetic place, I think a lot of people say, oh, that's not very good, or like that's not, that's not art, or it's not good art because it's not pretty. And by, by pretty, just whatever fits into their, um, <clears throat> their definition of good quality aesthetics. Um, that something needs to be skillful in the way that they deem it to be, etc. And I think that concept is king. Continually, concept is queen, concept is king, concept is the most important thing. And the concept might just be that I need to express myself right now and that's it. Um, and again, that, that it just brought up this question of like, well, no, of course not. Like to me, the answer is so obvious, but still something that when I talk to students, um, you know, this is something in grade 10 that I introduced, like the what is art unit. And this is one of, this is a quote that goes up on the whiteboard that, that is supposed to challenge students to be thinking about like, well, wait, what? Like, what is, what do you mean the duty of art? Why does it have a responsibility? Why does it have a duty? Like things that we talked about that I, I just continue to try and push students to think about more and create their own definitions of art. But it does inspire this thought and this conversation that, that I don't believe art necessarily has a responsibility. And, and except for the person making it, and again to keep other people, you know, safe and and not doing harm to them. Um, but it has changed throughout history in a way that I can't even express because I don't know our history very well. But I do know that obviously things change and they they roll with movements and they push against movements. Um, they're always reacting to something that came before. Uh, every movement is a reaction to the movement that was prior, basically. So I really feel as though, you know, now we're in a place that is so, I've mentioned this before, saturated and oversaturated with people and access to information and access to different ideologies that it's, you know, again, art doesn't have a duty. That, that really, I think, more and more and more art is just, it's everything. It's not... I don't think we can take, you know, because of globalization, because we're so connected, I don't think we can see and comprehend, like, no, 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 this culture thinks this is what art is. I think that still happens, but those are more insular cultures that don't have the accessibility necessarily to, I guess, what we have, which is ease of information. Um, and, and some do, and I mean, we got countries that are blocking basically the internet, right? So. Um, it still happens where I feel like maybe there are some insular cultures that have a specific definition of art or, or a definition of art is so ingrained in them that they can't see that the, despite the fact that they do actually see other forms of art that would challenge that, they don't think of them as art. Um, and I mean, I, it still happens here. I mean, that's the thing. This is why I have to challenge students in grade 10 to be like, what is art? What do you think art is? Because you've been taught something, you know, uh, implicitly and kind of like subconsciously your whole whatever you know, 15, 16 years of life before you got here. So now we need to break that down and, and use the references that you know and say, is that though? Is that what art is? Like, what do you think it is? Um, and what do you think its purpose and function should be? So kind of wrapping those things up, uh, that is, I don't, again, I don't feel like art has a duty or responsibility to be pretty, to be optimistic, to be, you know, um, what someone would, would call, you know, positive and uplifting. I don't believe that. I feel like most art... No, see, that's the thing. I, I, I'm just so 50-50 on it. And the thing is that one of those... I don't know how to express this. 
I think that what is beautiful is challenging. That is what is most beautiful to me, is what is challenging something. That is challenging the idea of what art is, or challenging the idea of positivity and uplifting, or holding up a mirror to to you and saying, look, this isn't pretty, this is not good, this is, you know, this is a... Uh, um, you know, the quote from uh, Carl Jung in Filth, uh, in Filth That Will Be Found, right? is like growth happens in that dirty, horrible, nasty space. It doesn't happen when everything is rainbows and sunshine. Um, so we need to be able to challenge all the rainbows and sunshine we see with the reality of the situations when we are in dark spaces. Um, to me, that challenge is beautiful. What gets people thinking and feeling and, and that is what's beautiful. That is what is of most importance. I feel like it's really hard to create, for me, a work that is um, beautiful and, and light and uplifting without acknowledging uh, darkness, without acknowledging, without acknowledging the beast. I, I, to use this quote against itself in a way, at least my interpretation of, of the line, you can't be elevated up above the beast without acknowledging the beast, if that makes sense. And that beast is different for everybody. Like I said, in this context, I think he was talking more about just like, you know, being being uh, elevated above evil and whatever, because Marquis de Sade's writing was so um, perceived as, I wouldn't call it evil, but I mean, for the context of the time, it, it was not Christ-like, words, basically, um, that it, it was carnal and very human and looking at sometimes the worst parts of humanity, uh, whether it be, you know, rape and pain and torture and all these other things. Uh, but that was part of what he felt was necessary to express because he had those thoughts there in a way that he just needed to get them out. Um, yeah, so I... I that's kind of where I have to leave that. Uh, I impress upon you to watch the movie Quills. Again, um, it has some strong content, but I mean, it's, like I said, to me, it's really, if you know nothing of Marquis de Sade and don't care to know, that's not the reason to watch this movie. If you are interested in art and want to be challenged by art and appreciate art, and if you're an artist especially, uh, it's a great movie that I feel like is really inspiring because of the, the challenges that the artist faces and yet he continues to find a way to create work. Uh, to borrow another line that, that in the movie the Marquis de Sade says, um, in times of adversity, the artist flourishes. And if you watch the movie, then, then you'll see what I mean. Those are my thoughts discussing, you know, art, the, the duty of art um, being to elevate us above the beast. With that, uh, the epilogue. The epilogue for today. Um... Something I struggled with, again, with this piece that, that I made yesterday, and I don't struggle with it very often, but it's also because I make abstract work, and I think it's usually kind of backwards. I feel like people maybe, oh, yeah, I don't know. I've made so much abstract work now, I just don't, I, I don't struggle with it very much. Um, how to tell when a piece is done. How to tell when a piece is done. This is going to look different for everybody, because everyone's a different artist with different styles, with different expectations, with different, you know, uh, processes, and... So, to address this question, it's really difficult. It's, it's it, time. That's it. Like, the answer is just time. It's going to take time for you to realize when a piece is finished. Um, it's, 
mostly to me about composition. I think if I were to talk about anything in a technical sense, composition is the thing that needs to be addressed here. You, you again have your own personal style and your own personal expectations as to what you want to get out of a piece. And the composition of that piece, in a uh, visual art right now, um, that's usually where you're going to realize your piece is done or it's not done. There's too much empty space or no, it's too busy. Um, along with that will come things like color and stuff. Uh, you know, but really it just all comes down to all these things that, that make up a composition. And I don't know, like part of, so part of me, if I'm making abstract work, to be very specific, I'm running off of emotion, I'm running off of feeling, I am running off of the music I'm listening to that is aiding me and, and perpetuating whatever feelings I'm feeling um, that were inspired by, you know, that piece of music or inspired by something else, whatever. And there's a certain point when that feeling just begins to run out. Uh, generally, the abstract art that I make is pretty quick at this point. It's not very uh, meticulous and layered in a, in a very, like, planned out way. It's, hey, there's a feeling that I want to paint. I think I'm going to start with these colors and go from there. And that feeling will just peter out at some point. I mean, it, it's like running on adrenaline. You only have so much. So for me, what happens is that feeling starts to run out and also simultaneously the piece just gets not necessarily more full, but in a way, I mean, there's more color, there's more layers, there's textures, whatever, um, that are going on. And it usually just feels more complete towards the end of this feeling running out. It's just, they're very paired together and it's just the way that it works with me. Sometimes that feeling fully runs out and the painting isn't finished yet. And at that point, I can step back and instead of being 100% emotional, I can look at the piece and say, okay, this is my composition and there are some things missing. It needs a little something here. It needs this to balance out. Um, and we talk about the elements and principles of design with this. And I think balance in your composition is super key. Again, even with abstract work, certain colors, certain textures, whether there's lines, whether something's really busy, whether you have a lot of positive and negative space, with abstract works very specifically, I think what, what helps is there's no one specific focal point, right? There, there's not just one place that your eye is drawn to. This is why using text in work is so difficult sometimes, because usually you're, you're optically just drawn to the text and you want to read it, and then you don't really see much of the other stuff going on. But, you know, your, your, your work should have many focal points or none in the aspect that there's not just one. That there's many places that draws your eye to this place and that place and this place. And you bounce around the piece and you see all of it. So making sure that your work does not necessarily have one focal point like that, unless that's what you want. Um, but then you may as well leave the canvas blank and just have that one thing on there in a way. Um, with other things, like it's easier for me to talk about abstract work because I've made hundreds of pieces of abstract work over the course of a little over a decade, right? Uh, with portraits and things like that, I mean, again, it all comes down to composition and balance is to, to figure out how, when is it done. I mean, that is just going to take time. You're going to look at it, you're going to analyze it. And I'll give you one trick here that, that I found out in university that really helped me. And I still sometimes, I don't use it enough now. Um, there's a lot of people who, who are fortunate enough to have a studio space where they can put their work up like a gallery. And especially if they're working with materials that are like oil paints that are slow to dry, they can have it up there for days, if not weeks, and they can go back into the piece. 
and they can just look at it very casually and then be like one day like, um, yeah, I think that is done actually, and they can call it finished. Um, or it can sit there and then they can walk by and be like, mm, that needs something else, that really does. When you are in the middle of the piece, you need to step back. So that's tip number one, but it's not like the biggest trick that I'm gonna give you. You need to step back from the piece and you need to be able to let it breathe for a second. And I mean physically stepping back, because I mean, if you're hunched over it or you're, it's on the wall and you're right in it, uh, if you are coming to a place where you feel like it is wrapping up, you need to step back and look at it again. Even if it's a portrait, let's say everything is planned, you're doing a, a photorealistic portrait, you, you need to step back when you think you are done and look at it again. Give yourself some physical distance from it. Uh, you could even leave the room, come back in a bit, whatever. Let's say that it's a deadline or you just want that piece to be finished. And so it's not going to just sit there for days or weeks for you to walk by and then realize, yeah, it is done. Good. Or mm, I need to work on that. Um, get some physical distance from it. Take a little break from it. Come back to it. The biggest tip I can give you is take a picture of it and look at it through your phone. Uh, at university, there were times, like, I mean, I, I finished a piece and then I went and I took a picture of it and I realized, what the heck? That's not done. How did I miss that? Like, I would miss something in the painting that I intended to put there. Um, and, you know, it's like if you made a piece and you forgot to, like, like a portrait and you forgot to have ears or eyebrows or something. Like, there are times where you're just working on something and you've got a plan and therefore you've got something you need to fulfill. And it's just like, it just, you miss something sometimes. Or if it's, you know, in my case, a lot of the time an abstract painting, um, by taking a picture of it, I can see in this different, you know, through a different lens, um, but I can see in this different format that, oh, it's not as balanced as I thought. Like there's all this red up here and there's none down here. There's nothing balancing that color. Or the, it, it's weighted so heavy here because it's so dark. Um, and, or there's way too much texture here or something's just off. And it's really easy to tell when you take a picture of it. I, it's just the way it is. Everyone I've talked to that has employed that strategy seems to do well, including myself. Um, if you can take a picture of it, take a picture of it before you call it done. Look at it through there. And then look back at the real piece and look at it through your phone again and look back at the real piece if you need to. Uh, but that is the biggest piece of advice I can tell you. But again, it all comes down to personal preference and taste, right? Like, when is it done? Well, what were you trying to accomplish with it? Uh, you know what I mean? Um, it's done when you say it's done. <laughs> For the most part, unless it's a commission. But even then, it's still done when you think it's finished. What was the point of the commission? What was the, the intention and the, and the purpose of it? Well, have you fulfilled that or not? You're never going to know that unless you start working and working and working and working. You need to paint. You need to draw. Whatever it is you're doing, when is it going to be done? You know, you eventually, it gets easier and easier because you determine through the a volume of your work a sense of style. You create your style, uh, and sometimes your style shifts and changes, and that's good. But, I mean, eventually, you, you know what you like, and you won't know that until you make a bunch of work. Um, you know, maybe your style is that it's crazy busy all the time, and it doesn't have a lot of room to breathe, and it feels really suffocating, and maybe that's your style, or maybe that's the intention and purpose of the piece. That's what it's supposed to do. Um, other times, though, it, that's not what you want, right? If you are making work for yourself or if you're making work for the viewer, that also comes into play. So who are you making the work for? Why are you making it? These are questions you could ask yourself that I, I almost never ask myself this before I make a piece. Um, it's usually just very natural to me. I get inspiration. I come in with that inspiration. I look at sizes. I think about some colors real quick, and I go. Uh, that's usually the way it plays out for me, not all the time. But thinking about who the, the piece is intended for, 
what are you going to need to get there? Like some people might need to write stuff out. Some people do tons of research. Again, this is just your process is going to get figured out through you making the work. Uh, again, there's little tips and tricks that I think people can learn along the way. But ultimately, you're not going to know when something's done until you know it's done, until you have done something so many times and maybe failed at it and realized that was not a, su a successful piece and I called it done too early or I pushed it too far and completely ruined it, right? I've done that many times. I think I've done that way more than I have finished a piece that looked, you know, incomplete. I think that it was complete at first and I pushed it too far and, and then it got weird and muddled and... It, it lost, it just lost it. And it became unsuccessful in that way. I've done that way more often. So again, you just have to make work. Make it often, make, uh, a, the, once you have a certain volume of work, you're gonna know, you know, even if it's photography, you're gonna figure out what your editing style is. You're gonna figure out how you like to crop things, uh, you know, how much contrast you like and saturation and something like, those are things you will pick up just by doing it over and over and over and over again. And yes, hopefully, your tastes and your style change too, especially if you explore different media. But that, that's the advice I can give for the question, how, do you, how can you tell when a piece of work is actually done? You, there, there's, no, there's no one answer I can just give you. You have to just keep working and have some failures under your belt and learn from those lessons. With that, this week, that is my artist life.